Is it possible to fulfill this brief? To create a brand that every single Italian who lives in Italy and abroad, when they see the bottle and read the name, is going to make them proud? Our guest not only fulfilled his own brief, but also has the whole world wanting it. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Giuseppe Gallo is a drinks industry legend. From overseeing the place to be, the Sanderson Hotel Long Bar in London, to gathering awards as the global brand ambassador of Martini, one of the most iconic brands in the world. Now, he's masterminded the creation of Italicus Rosolio di Bergamotto, from a historical Italian recipe that hasn't been consumed for almost a hundred years. Today, I sit down with him to have a deep dive into what Italicus tastes like, how to use it to make incredible cocktails, and how he created a spirit that every Italian can be proud of. But before we get started, and if you live in the UK, then head on over to spiritskiosk.com for your bottle of Italicus. You'll receive 10% off the entire site by quoting this code, a lush life 10SK. That's one word, a lush life 10SK. Now let's get to Italicus. I am so excited for you to be here because Italicus is one of my favorite spirits of all time. And I'm not just saying that. I remember having it for the first time in a scropino. I went in, I remember seeing Mia of Swift at Tales on Tour. She was doing a session on aperitivi and she was saying scropino. And I have, I go to Venice a lot. I've been going since I'm a little girl and I hadn't ever seen a scropino anywhere but Venice. So of course I ran, ran to Swift and there was a little something different in the scropino and it was Italicus. And that was my first introduction. So I'm so excited to have you here, the person who invented Italicus with me. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how you you got to the point where you even wanted to invent a new spirit or let alone a new category. I would say, first of all, we should thank you, Mia Johansson, which is uh, one of the most predominant uh, mixologists in the industry. In the world, is the co-founder and the manager of the Swift Bar in Soho. And uh, they signature cocktail since they opened it is the Sgropino. And they basically personalized the classic Italian cocktail, which used to be made with lemon sorbet, vodka, and Prosecco. So the focus at the body was aperitivi, a low ABV cocktail, and they made a cocktail with Italicus, a scoop of lemon sorbet, and Prosecco. That's why it's so good. And it became all of a sudden one of the most trendy cocktails that I could imagine of. And actually, we're starting to get requests from other venues, from other bars to implement this cocktail in their program. So it's what we call the new modern classic, almost. And um, so definitely like a thank you to Mia that he was introducing Italicus together to so many other people. But let's go back to the creation of Italicus. So... To start with, Italicus to me is not just a product, it's not just a brand. Italicus it was more a philosophy, it's more a way of living. And the reason why I decided to create a 
a brand, I call it Italicus, which means Italian in Latin words. It was that I want to be the ambassador of the Made in Italy around the world. At Made in Italy, the message I want to bring around the world is not the Italy of you know pizza, mandolino, and uh, spaghetti. That one, or Dolce Vita, is a beautiful Italy of 50, 60, 70 years ago that my parents, my grandparents, they enjoyed. But Italy has been moving on from there a long time ago. So when I think about Italy today, I think about Italy of Ducati, of Ferrari, Armani, Agostino Perone, the Connaught Bar, or Massimo Bottura from Osteria Francescana. That's the Italy I want to export around the world. And that's the message that I want to get across with Italicus. Yes. Well, before we go into Italicus, I want to hear about your relationship with Italy and how you even made your way over here to England. I always say that you're starting to appreciate your homeland only when you left, when you don't have it any longer. And I was um, lucky enough at a very early age to starting to travel for work and for business. And I've been always working for the last 20 years in the hospitality industry. And when it was around 2005, I was on the way back from US. I spent one and a half years at the Montclair University in US studying hospitality management and working there. And because of the visa, the green card, I couldn't stay longer. So I had to go back to Italy. And I was bored in Italy, didn't know what to do. It was winter. I'm originally from the Malfi Coast, and it's a beautiful place to be during the summer. During the winter, it can be a little bit boring. And I say, you know what? I have so many friends. I've been already in London a few years early on to learn English. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to uh, London at least for a few months over the winter. And then by April, May, I'm going to go back to US. This was November 2005. And uh, actually... And now, 16 years later, a wife, two kids, and a mortgage, <laughs> and two companies, I don't think I'm going to ever live in London. And actually, when people now, they're asking me, how you feel, more Italian or more international? I say, I feel a Londoner. Because literally, Mayfair or Noho is almost like my playground. I can walk in in every single bar or restaurant, and I know people by name, and then lots of friends, they actually work in there. Well, I know that people can Google your name and find out your whole history or listen to other podcasts where you have definitely gone through every single step of how you got to where you did. And you are at the top of your game. You're global brand ambassador for Martini, one of the biggest brands in the world. Why the interest in starting a spirit or leaving that role to become an entrepreneur? I have one aim in my professional life, which is to innovate and to be creative. And I loved Martini so much. And the brand is still part of my life, a part of my family. And I'll be, for the rest of my life, thankful to the brand and to the company who gave me this a huge opportunity. I mean, I've been traveling the world and doing a TV ad with George Clooney, with Dolce Gabbana, with Monica Bellucci. I've been traveling the world with the Formula One. You know, I've been working alongside Jamie Oliver and, you know, I can go on and on and on. Like the opportunities that their brand, their company give me, you know, always going to bring with me for the rest of my life. But also you limit it the way how you can decide your future when you're working for a large company, which is normal. 
Mm -hmm. New large company corporation, they need to have a set of rules, guidelines that you need to follow in order to control such like a large amount of employees. Miami was not just to fit in a box. I've been always trying to think out of the box in a technical meaning of the word. And the only way I could really think out of the box and dream big and be creative and innovate in our industry, it was to set up my own business and to launch my own spirits. And that's why how Italicus, it came into the game. So when you wanted to start your own spirit, were you looking immediately for something completely new, a completely new category? Or had you no idea what you wanted to do or just doing research? How did you settle or decide upon Rosolio as the category that you wanted to follow? Without knowing it back then, so five years ago, now I can say that I knew it or I could dream exactly what I want to achieve. In my brain, in my heart, I knew what I want to do. I didn't know the way, I didn't know the journey or the path to take because obviously you cannot read the future, but I had a very clear vision, very clear idea what I want to get. And it was starting with what I mentioned early on. I want to export, communicate around the world, the modern and contemporary made in Italy, not the old style and fashion of Italy. So how do I do that? I need to come up with something which is really creative, innovating and therefore I went for a category which actually it didn't exist or let's say disappeared for 80 90 years nobody had a clue what it was apart of few old Italians and first of all Rosario because when I was doing all my research for Vermouth for over 10 years working for Martina Rossi I was always finding Rosario here and there in all the historic cocktail books and all the library, all the museum where I was going, and you know, it's starting to really intrigue me. I say, I was asking myself, you know, what is this Rosolio? What's going on? Why well, I don't know anything. So I started to ask around again and again and again until I started to accumulate information, books, documents that they were talking about Rosolio. And I find out how important Rosolio was for the Italian drinking culture back in the 1600, 1700, and 1800s. Then it was the flavor profile. There is a lot of brands of product today. They claim to be exactly the recipe that used to be 200 years ago. Right. Like I don't believe a single word of that. <laughs> we do not drink and we do not eat what people they used to drink and eat 200 years ago. We eat and we drink 100 times better of the people back then. Because technology, the world has been moving on. So... The initial intention was always, I will craft the liquid in a modern way. So I need to find a kind of flavor profile based on historic recipe and historic category like Rosolio that will be appealing for a modern consumer. And I started to look around and say, okay, where the usually the trends are started? The trends are starting with perfume. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite perfume is Acqua di Joe by Armani. Now, if you're going to read the back label, you will see that this, the main flavor is bergamot. Then another one which I really like, it is uh, Neroli Portofino by Tom Ford. 
you're going to read the back label, it's bergamot. Then you're going to see Summer Capri by Dolce Gabbana, you're going to read the back label, it's bergamot. Acqua di Parma, bergamot di Calabria, and so on and so forth. I can go on and on and on. It's like, hmm, very interesting. So like lots of perfume, they're using bergamot, citrus as their main and chances. I know that scent. I know the flavor. My boyfriend is from Cyprus and they make sweets out of bergamot. So it's something that I, I know of and love and love. But hold on, before you go on, I just want to go back a little um, because I do find it quite ironic that to make something completely new, you've used something that has been in Italy's history that just disappeared. So uh, before we go on to Italicus, why don't you tell us what Rosolio is when you were doing the research and, and found out about it? I always like to say that knowledge is power and uh, everything you want to create new or you want to innovate, you need to be based on very deep understanding of our past and our history. And I truly believe in that. One of my favorite hobby and study is politics. And people is like, why do you like politics? I like politics because they make me understand why we're doing or why we are today like this, because of decisions made in the past. That's why I love to study the past. And Rosolio was one of these ways to studying the past. Rosolio, he was the main category back on the first Renaissance, a second Renaissance in Italy. So 1500, to be precise. And the word is Rosolio. Rosolio is a word that is coming from two different words of Latin. From the Ros, Olis. A means translated in English, the morning dew or the dew of sun. Why? Because Rosolio was made in Italy by the monks at the beginning and then by the local family in every village or region going early in the morning to harvest leaves, barks, flowers, fruits, and then to put an infusion with the water or alcohol to extract the flavor. What is the main difference for Rosolio? So from the words Ros Olis, then to the Italian Rosolio, that instead of to use sugar syrup or any kind of sweetener, the Rosolio is starting to be very popular in Italy after the discovery of the Americas, because it's starting to be an abundance of sugar cane arriving to Italy and to Europe. So the monks, what they did, they used to make those little elixir, mainly used as a medicine. They're starting to add a little bit of this raw sugar arriving from America. Back then, the sweetener was honey, it was not sugar. Sugar was available a little bit in Europe, but the main sweetener, it was just honey. All of a sudden, in a in few years, things they change because of all this abundance of ingredients arriving from Americas. And they're starting to add the raw beet sugar into those elixir, making this rose olives, diluted with a little bit of water, always very low in terms of ABV, very pleasant in terms of drinking. And that's how Rosario became so popular during the second Renaissance in Italy, that actually one of the book that I have he says that Caterina de' Medici, one of the greatest queens that Tuscany and Firenze had, future wife of the King of France, on Saturday, she used to go to the beautiful Basilic Church in Firenze, Santa Maria Novella, for the Mass on Saturday, not Sunday. And when she will leave, she will always offer a little glass of rosolio to all the people that have been attending to the Mass. 
So it was the way to say thank you, the way to welcome people. And the first thing that his father, Lorenzo, the greatest Lorenzo de' Medici, offered to the future husband, a king of France, it was a little glass of rosolio when he went to Italy, to Florence, to ask for the hands of Caterina to the father Lorenzo. This is a true story that you can still read in books. Talk about politics. <laughs> and actually, we brought this story to life into the cup of Italicus. If you see the cup of Italicus, is a black and white. That black and white stripes is coming from the Church of Santa Maria Novella in Firenze oh, yeah. because of the story of Caterina. Oh, I love that. I love that. Now, were there any special flavors that they loved? In uh, Tuscany, the main flavor it was juniper berries. Oh. Why? Because Tuscany is full of juniper berry trees. Now, where the mistake or the misunderstanding is coming from, it was for the Rosolio made in Piemonte, in Turin, where the first king of Italy used to live. Because it was an abundance of roses. And because roses, it was a really premium luxury treatment. Think about the, you know, even Cleopatra used to take a bath with milk and roses. The water with roses, the rose water. Like they used to make a rosolio for the king based on roses. And therefore, a lot of people still believe today that the word rosolio is coming from roses. Uh-huh. It's one of the biggest miscommunication and misunderstanding that you can find online nowadays. And that's what we're trying to change with Italics, of course. So you're doing all this research. You think, oh, this sounds like it could work. How did you decide that you wanted it to be Bergamotto? Oh, very simple. I went to the Artisan Bar that back then it was the number one cocktail bar in the world in 2013. And out of 10 cocktails, three, they were using bergamot essence. <laughs> so there is no brain. That, that's what is going to be the next big thing. Then I'm going to the Sexy Fish restaurant in Berkeley Square, the new opening in London in the last four or five years. And on the menu, you find a bergamot cheesecake. And then I said, like, you know, I don't need more research. I don't need to do consumer research. I don't need to go to an agency. I knew the things they're going to get big around bergamot. And I want to be the first one to bring bergamot into the cocktail. So you, you got, okay, bergamot, it's going to be bergamot. You went home. Did you know where to find them? How did you start distilling? How did the whole pr- production process happen? Well, that is the difference between a dreamer and a business person. How to take an idea and bring to light. That's how I become an entrepreneur. It was not easy. Obviously, I kind of like, you know, learn the path, the journey while I was working. That means I had to find a distillery. I had to find an agency for the package, uh, packaging design. I had to find, you know, funding. I had to find suppliers and so on and so forth. Distribution, legal aspects, you know, financial aspects. So it was very, very complicated. It was not easy. So overall, yeah, it was fairly quick. I did everything in ten months, as I don't like to spend too much time on a project. If things they need to happen, they need to happen. You don't want to wait too long. Always like I don't like to stir the same soup for too long. At some point, I want to eat it. And the overall process started around November twenty. 2015 and September 1st of September 2016 we launched Italicus at Savoy Hotel in London. So how long did it take you to find the right flavor profile the exact bergamot flavor that you kind of dreamed about in your head? Not to complicate it I knew exactly how bergamot smell like 
And then I knew that when I open a bottle of Italicus, that's what I want to smell. So I need to be bergamot powered. So I had to craft it in a way that it will be appealing for modern consumer. It will be stable in terms of liquid and it could be mixed in the cocktails and bring something new. So I did ask a few bartenders, colleagues to taste the liquid with me. And it took us literally three or four rounds to find the right recipe. And at the base of the liquids, we put five ingredients, which they're coming from the historic recipe of the Rosolio di Torino. So the one that the king used to drink. So roses, Roman chamomile, lavender, lemon balm, and gentian root. Mm. I find in a book, we put everything together, we infuse with alcohol and water, we put the sugar, I'm going to taste, and guess what? Horrible. Exactly. Because it was a recipe of 140 years. So, like, of course, they were drinking sweet and flourish. Like, it was undrinkable for us. But it's like, of course, it's undrinkable because we don't, we don't drink like that. Right. So, we're starting to work with the master distiller to find a little bit more the right ratio and measure in terms of ingredients and botanicals. And then it's like, okay, now I need to bring the bergamot. So, I find a very good producer of bergamot, natural bergamot from the Calabria region in Italy, that they're sending the essential oil. And we put the bergamot, we're going to taste, and instead of bergamot in your mouth, it's almost like a limoncello style. Mm. And I say like, you know, we don't want a limoncello, you know, kind of like in a heavy, sticky, syrupy, like, you know, uh, this one needs to be for cocktail, it's more elegant, it's more classy, it's not like, you know, just freezing from the, you know, right. fri- um, the fridge. And, uh, and we find kind of like, you know, a solution adding the cheddar citrus fruits. The cheddar is a giant lemon coming from Sicily. It's all about skin where the essential oil is concentrated, there is no juice. And the molecular, the pH of cheddar is completely different com- comparing to the bergamot. Bergamot, it's light, cheddar, mm-hmm. it's heavy. So, Rosario di Torino, we position the cedro as a bridge and then the bergamot on top. So, when you open the bottle, you have this beautiful smell of bergamot, which is coming as a top note. Then you still have this like citrus flavor coming through because of the cedro that it can sustain the recipe. And then you have all the peaks and characteristics of the bitterness, flower, and roses. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it smells divine. It tastes divine. Now, the bottle is so iconic. Did you always have that idea for the bottle? No. This one, I need to, you know, remove my head to Stranger is Stranger, the agency who done the work. I still remember, I worked with Stranger is Stranger in my previous job, and um, I work into their office. I'm having the first meeting with the CEO and the account director, and I'm going there with no PowerPoint, no presentation, no file, nothing, just with a fresh bergamot in my hand. Get a fresh bergamot, I give it to them. This is bergamot. That's how it looks like. That's how it smells like. And I want to create a brand, Italicus, which is going to make every single Italian that lives in Italy or outside of Italy, like myself, when they're going to look at the bottle, when they're going to read the name, they're going to say, that's an Italian brand. And you're going to make them proud. That was my brief. And this is actually the first design ever they shared with me. There was no second round. No way. The colors, everything. It is. It's so beautiful. The gold. It just, it's so Italian, should I say. It's so Italian. Now let's talk about the liquid. Everyone tells you probably not to this this category it's so strange what are you talking about it's not going to work you know all those naysayers which now they can all laugh 
or you can laugh at them. When you brought it out, did you ever believe the success it would have? I mean, so no. quickly? No. No, with all honestly, with the best perspective, you know, my best hope and wishes, Italicus is also one of those brands which I will say has been kind of phenomenal. Mm. You know, Italicus is the only brand ever in history who won best new product of the year, a third of the cocktail in New Orleans, best European product of the year in Berlin, best new product of the year in Italy, best new product of the year in Spain, Portugal, and UK, all in the first 10 months since the launch. Incredible. It never happened before. Even for like you know, some other great brands, which I think like they're even richer and even bigger than Italicus right now, it never happened before. So that's it makes you understand how the brand it really took off all of like all of a sudden it completely blow up the year one. Uh, and actually my main challenge, my main job it was just to keep up with the work and with the demand, rather than actually try to distribute or try to get the brand out there. Like every single day for the first two years, it was a request from a, a market, a country, a region that they want they want to buy the bottle, they want to buy Italicus, they want stock. So my job it was all the opposite, try to keep the focus on the brand and try to build the value, the education, the right step. So what I like to say, learn how to walk before we started to run. Do you think it was just a flavor that people had not worked with before? Like, what what do you think it 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 was just a great liquid? You know, what, I don't know. I don't know what I'm asking here. Just it filled a void, I guess. People didn't realize they wanted something so much until they tried it. Well, I guess uh, Steve Jobs that you can uh, see up there once said to his co-founder, a partner, Schwenzig, say that in 1974. It's like you know, it's like people they don't know what they want until they actually they actually know that they exist. So first of all, you need to make sure that people they know that you exist as a brand. But also, my personal opinion or thoughts is that a successful story or brand is never one single reason. It's always a combination of things. Usually, majority of the challenge or task that you get it right. And there is there are several of them. First of all, Italicus and uh, the story with myself is probably has been what most of the bartenders or on-trade people, they really want to do. They want to launch their own brand. They want their brand to represent their country and they want the brand to be successful and be recognized with that. So at some point I started to be called Mr. Italicus. Is exactly what you want for your, for your brand. So that's like for the on-trade, it was this kind of belongings feeling that is exactly what I want to do next year or in two years or in the future. Mm. Or actually, this is the project in, I wish I would do it. I would do it two or three years ago or 10 years ago. So it was always somebody feel kind of linked with the project. Then two, he brought some new flavor profile into the game, into the arsenal of bartenders. So I came with something completely unique, which is, Bergamot and bartenders, pastry chef, chef, creative people, they love something new. Of course. And that's exactly what um, the situation with the Bergamot. And then the whole history of Rosolio. I did renegade what it was my background with vermouth or with, you know, Italian spirits expert. And I was actually saying, like, you know, that's my role into the cocktail world. 
I'm an expert on Italian liqueur, on Italian spirits. Let me tell you something else that you don't know yet. Uh-huh. And that's what I love, the whole story about Rosolio, because that question, the first question is like, you know, there are any other Rosolio? No. no. Why there are no other Rosolio? Because everybody loves to make another gin. <laughs> Why? Because that's the new trend. Don't ask me, ask them. And now you see gin with a bergamot flavor, so which is <laughs> but, very interesting. Uh- Right. I was going to say in five years, you'll see the rose one, the juniper one, the, you know, a whole slew of other risolios. But now the on trade obviously was going to love it. They were always going to give you a chance. They know you, you're part of their family. You've been part of their family for 20 years. So I, I was wondering when you were creating Italicus, were you thinking also about serves or how the home bartender could fall in love with it and use it and not maybe be intimidated by this new flavor, this new category? First of all, nobody ever should be intimidated to make a cocktail at all. And we should learn from America, which is the only real country in the world which people, they making cocktail at all. Making cocktail and drinking cocktail is about having fun. Mm-hmm. It's about having good time with your friends, with your wife, or with your husband, or, or with your relative, whatever it is. Like, just enjoy yourself. Making cocktail is not a scientific strategy. It's something that you need to come natural, okay? And you just need to have a little bit of common sense. And everybody can make a cocktail at home. That's the rule number one. Number two, when you develop a new liquid or new brand, the most important part is to think about it, how your liquid is going to be drinking. And that's one of the main mistakes I see from a lot of brands, a lot of products. They think about the product needs, just the liquid on its own, which has to be good, I understand. But you need to understand when it's going to be mixed. So you're going to add 20 or 30% of water, and then probably in the glass, 50% of the capacity is ice. And then you're going to add a dash of bitters or dash of syrup or dash of tonic or soda. What will be the final taste profile? Because that's what the consumer, they're going to enjoy at home. Mm. It's exactly what I did with Italicus. I never thought about the liquid just on its own. He actually, like, you know, we made the liquid that he can be drink also on his own from the fridge. But that's not the main purpose. The main purpose is to be mixed in cocktails. And I did what I call the test of nine. Test of nine, you need to share the liquid with your wife. <laughs> and wife, they never like, you know, try to be politically correct. So she was always very straightforward in terms of feedback. And we tasted with the long drinks, which is the most complicated one. It's much more easy to blend or mix or, or hide your ingredients in a complex cocktail with another five ingredients, but it's ah. much more difficult if you mix with just one more thing because the liquid it got to be good. So I was trying Italicus the liquid with tonic, with soda, and actually my favorite way still to drink today Italicus is with an IPA beer, oh. almost like a shandy. Mm-hmm. So Italicus, so uh, literally an IPA beer, with a splash double shot of Italicus. Yeah, the most sophisticated shandy ever. It's actually my wife's cocktail, it's not even mine. We were in a pub, we were sitting five years ago and I had all these little samples. And it's like, you know, why don't try with some beer? 
and I'm Italian. I love bitter beer. I love IPA. She literally, like, you know, take one little shot. She put in my IPA. And I'm even getting upset. It's like, why are you ruining my beer now? And then I started to drink it. It's like, you know what? This is not bad at all. <laughs> and then we ordered another one. Another one's like, ooh, that's something good in there. So what are we calling the Ipalicus? Ipalicus. I've got to try it. So, so since we're talking about cocktails, because bergamot is a citrus, it seems to lend itself to summer cocktails. But I was wondering if you were thinking about it in the winter, any winter cocktails that you think it could work with. Absolutely. First of all, the one thing that you need to be, I think, disclosed about bergamot, bergamot is a winter citrus. Bergamot is the truffle of citrus. So the harvesting period is between December and January. That's at the peak of the flavor, the bergamot. Already in February, very difficult to find fresh bergamot. So winter, you can play a lot of different cocktails. It works very well with the sherry, a fortified wine. It works very well with the white wine, but also you can make some nice, refreshing, mold wine cocktail with the white wine. It works very well with a fresh squeezed orange juice, grapefruit juice. So all juice that you can make really fresh during the winter because it's the peak season, and then right. you can mix with that. It works very well with the coconut water. So many combinations that you can do with Italico. So there are winter cocktails. We actually did 2019, looks like a long time ago, <laughs> some winter activation in Courmayeur and on the French Alps with a warm cocktail with Italicus. It was one of the most successful activations we ever did. Even myself, I was surprised because you would think more spring, summer, but it actually works very well in the winter as well. Even though I know that citrus is technically grown in the winter, that because, I guess, of the gin and tonics and adding lime and lemons and all of that, it is in the mojitos of this world, it's become something that's summer. So now I know that if I'm on a beach, I'm going to grab myself a coconut and a bottle of Italicus and just pour it right in. I, I, I didn't believe at the beginning when they told me, like, you know, Italicus and coconut water. Then I went to see on the flavor profile of bergamot. Actually, coconut is one of the most close flavor profile because coconut also brings some tannins. And actually, they match very well. And actually, Luca was having this cocktail with a dry sherry, Italicus, and sparkling coconut water. Ooh. Kind of like, you know, tropical gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. Now, you, you've given me already such a great top tip for the home bartender, which is dive right in. But if there was some other tip that you had when if people just bought that bottle of Italicus, what would that be? Keep it in the fridge. Rule number one. It doesn't have expired date, but keep it in the fridge. Cold is much better. Then number two, when you first taste Italicus, make sure when you open the bottle, first of all, smell the bottle. Make sure that you get all the flavor of the citrus coming through your nose because it's true that we taste with our mouth, but we give it the input to our brain with our nose. So it's important that you smell the bergamot through. When you open, you can taste neat, no problem, it's from the fridge. Otherwise, first things taste on the rocks. My first things I will say taste Italicus over ice on the rocks and use three green olives as a garnish. Mm. So you have that salty and citrus, so it reminds you the aperitivo from Italy. So one olives, three olives, yeah? One olives, one sip. Second olives, second sip. Third olives, third sip. 
And that's you have the full experience of the Italicus. I love that you said that because when I try and tell people that I want a spritz, no matter what it is, with an olive in it, they look at me as if I am crazy. And actually, I think that the same thing tails on tour. I remember hearing someone talking about a spritz and saying olives. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Because you have that salty, salty and kind of sweetish thing happening. It's fantastic. So now you just have to answer one more question, which I always ask, which is if you could be drinking anything anywhere right now, where would that be? And what would you be having? I'd love to have a nice, beautiful, cold, dry Connaught Martini with Agostino Perone in Mayfair with a few splashes of Italicus, nice cold pour of the Connaught dry gin in my little coupette they always keeping in the bar and just looking at that beautiful shelf at that beautiful bar at the staff that they're moving almost like an orchestra. That will be my dreaming right now. After one year, I have not been in a bar. Oh, no, I understand. And I love it there, too. And I'm going to be there, too. Well, thank you so much. It was so great to have you. And I can't wait to open my bottle of Italicus again. And thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me, Susan. Of course. A big grazie to Giuseppe for being on the show. Just remember, olives in a spritz works really well. If you don't trust Giuseppe and me, then try it for yourself in our Cocktail of the Week. As the clocks have turned back in the USA and Europe, we have an extra hour to enjoy our Cocktail of the Week, the Italicus Spritz. Fill a wine glass with ice and add 50 mils of Italicus Rosalio de Bergamotto, then top it up with 50 mils of Prosecco. Stir it gently, then add three green olives. Or, like Giuseppe suggested, put one olive in your mouth and take a sip, and then repeat it two more times. That's Italian. Don't forget you can find Italicus at spiritskiosk.com and use the coupon a lush life 10 sk for 10% off. You'll find this recipe, more Italicus cocktail recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. It's funny, during our chat, I couldn't help but remembering the old 1970s commercial for Ragu. It's a bottled tomato pasta sauce. And it had a catchphrase, that's Italian. For anyone not from an Italian background, this ragu tomato sauce was our first introduction to Italian cooking. Then came Marcello Hazan and the espresso and the classic Italian cookbook, and it changed everything. Thank goodness. But you can still check out that original commercial on YouTube. But if you live for lush life, Make sure you're giving back to the bars or restaurants you love by donating or taking part in cocktail or food delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. 
Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly and wash your hands and wear a mask. Next week, we'll be going back to Italy with another iconic brand, Montenegro. Until that time, bottoms up.